We're definitely coaching a different breed of athlete these days, but that shouldn't come as a surprise. Every generation has their own version of kids these days, gripe, and it's simply evolution. And that means we need to evolve as coaches too. Actually, let me clarify, we get to evolve. And even better news, there are strategies you can implement today to help them. And that's what today's guest is going to share. Ready for those? Let's jump on in. Get your head in the game, coach. You're about to get your audio dose of softball inspiration. I'm Melanie Rushing. And I'm Alicia Smith. And we help softball teams win more games and have more fun. Right now, you're joining thousands of passionate coaches across the nation who are dragging the field, prepping for the day, or driving to that other job while they learn and grow as a coach. So if you're ready to learn how to build a strong team culture, get your players to believe, and make a real difference in their lives, you're in the right place. This is the Mental Sweet Spot Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode. Super excited for today's guest. Told you a little about her in the intro, but I want to tell you, this woman, I met her through her website, basically. We haven't had a full-on conversation yet, and I'm like, hire, hire her now. So please, without further ado, welcome Lauren Ammon. Oh, thank you, Mel and Alicia, so much. I am so excited to be here. I always love talking to other female athletes and, you know, females in this space. So uh, energy is on point today. We love it too. So we're super excited. And like I said uh, before we started recording that we need more of us around. So I'm I'm thankful that you found us and we found you and that we're able to talk to you today. So first thing we'd love to do is just ask you a little bit about your journey and how you got from your uh, swimming days to what you do now. And exactly So, yeah. So I always love this story because um, I don't remember this part of it, but I was five years old and I have two older sisters who were already swimmers. And my mom tells the story that when I was five and I was already at the meet, I had way too much energy and I was asking for way too many snacks. And so she just thought, well, you're already here. So I'm just going to shove you on the swim team and see what happens. And, you know, as they say, the rest is history. I don't remember falling in love with the sport of swimming, but I, I remember that being the feeling that I had as conscious as I am of the experience. And so uh, I swam for the same team from the age of six until I graduated high school here in Cincinnati, Ohio. And then I was lucky enough to receive a D1 scholarship to Eastern Michigan University, where I swam all four years ended up a high school state champion, uh, a top three finisher in the MAC conference, which is what Eastern Michigan is in, and team captain of the swim team. And uh, for any ex-athlete out there, I went through a really low point after I was done. But at the time, I wasn't conscious of why, right? I mean, I knew that my swimming career was over, but I didn't anticipate the dip and the slight depression, if I may say it. Uh, afterwards. And so I went into corporate America because that's what I went to school for and found myself in the HR space. So that's what I had gotten my master's in after I graduated from Eastern Michigan and from UC, go Bearcats. Um, And um, did that for about 15 years and just found I wasn't comfortable. I don't know how else to describe it other than I wasn't comfortable. I felt stuck and I was bored. And uh, I found myself being exposed to executive coaches, being in the human resources space. And so I thought, well, that might at least kind of spice up the career a little bit. 
So I went and got my coaching certification. And when I was done, I thought, yeah, I'm not going to do this for corporate America. I'm doing this on my own. <laughs> so uh, I started on leadership development and career transition because that's what I knew. Still successful in that space. But again, it was like, oh, something just isn't right. Something is missing. And then it was the 2020 Olympics. And it was the night that Simone Biles removed herself from competition, if you guys remember it was also the same night that Katie Ledecky won gold in the 1500 meter freestyle, the first time women ever got to swim it, but she didn't necessarily have what I'm assuming what went through her mind was a gold medal swim. She was about 20 seconds off of her world record, which in a 1500 is a considerable amount of time. And just watching the emotion behind that race after it. And then a couple minutes later, however long in the telecast, Michael Phelps came on, who anybody knows is a big proponent of uh, athlete mental well-being and said words I will never for, forget and forever change me, which were competing at this level is really overwhelming. We just want someone to talk to. We just want someone who listens, who allows us to be vulnerable and doesn't want to fix us. And it was this moment of pure emotional reaction with tears in my eyes, like, yes, that's what it feels like to be an athlete at any level. It doesn't have to be the Olympic level. It could be any level. And I just thought, gosh, here's an opportunity to combine the first half of my life with what I've learned in the second half of my life in supporting athletes to train their minds like they train their bodies. That is so good. I, every new coach that comes through our program, reflecting on my own seasons, like that's the difference maker is when you can show a kid, I'm here for you, not just to correct your form and make you a better athlete, but I'm here to hear about that, that rough test. <laughs> I'm here to hear about, like, don't tell me all the details about your relationship with that crazy boy and girl, but like, talk to me about what's going on. Uh, so that is huge. Tell me what are some of the things when you heard that based on your own experience that you wish you had had as an athlete and now you can take it to other coaches. Yeah. I think it is just that outlet and that resource to have someone to talk to, to say, I don't know what I'm doing right now. Right. I don't, I don't know if I have it in me to do this whole next year. I don't know that I feel confident that I can reach the times and paces that I want, right? That's what I wish I had, right? When my prime was the late 90s, early 2000s. And I had a, I mean, having swum for 17 years, I had a, a good roster of great coaches and I've had, I have a roster of crappy coaches. Um, but what I remember from those experiences, even the great coaches, and this is no knock on them, it just wasn't a thing. It was just like, you're fine, get over it. Just get out of your own head. and okay, great. I want to, that's awesome. I just don't know how to do that. And often just having someone without judgment to say, one, you're not alone. Two, this is totally normal. And three, how can I support you? That's what I wish I had. And again, it's not a knock on anybody that I was coached by. This wasn't talked about. They weren't trained in it. And it just wasn't a thing. I, 
I, I reflected on a lot of things when you were saying that too, about a lot of the conversations I've had with the kids that I work with, right? So one, when I, whenever I have them share in a group setting, there's a, there's an aha moment that the team has because the, each individual feels like they're alone, mm-hmm. right? In their feelings of, I, I fear judgment. I fear failure. I don't want to let people down. Um, I'm I'm not confident. They always feel very alone in those situations. But when we talk as a team, everyone starts to say, yeah, I feel the same. And there's a lot of value in that. Um, and secondly, by the way, I won't hold it against you. You're from Ohio or that you went to Eastern because I'm a graduate graduate from Western and I'm from Michigan. But I just I just had to throw that in <laughs> You didn't have a swim team, so that, that, that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, uh, but anyway, I think the other piece is too is that the athletes often wrap their identity in what they do, mm-hmm. and not who they are. So, we, you know, we always say, I always tell the kids, one of the last things I try to leave them with is softball is something that you do. It's not who you are. Um, how how do you feel either as a former athlete and or the the kids that you currently work with or teams and or even coaches what what they say around that in the identity in the sport because they're so dedicated and tied to it. Yeah, that was a big aha moment for me when I came out of the sport, even years after I was removed from it. I I was guilty of the, this is my identity. I am a distance swimmer or I was a distance swimmer. And the more that I think about it, it it's it's working with the athletes to validate that in the moment, it's okay, right? That that it's not that sport has made them who they are. It's that sport is the outlet that shows them who they are, you know, versus somebody who does it through theater or who does it through music or who does it through crafting. I don't, I don't know, pick whatever hobby or whatever you want, but, you know, helping them because I remember what it was like when someone was like, it's not that big of a deal, right? Because it was so tied to my identity and I didn't know how to separate that. It was a big deal for me. So when I work with teams and athletes, it's it's to validate that it's okay to feel that way, but to bring awareness that it isn't who you are. It's just the platform that you chose that you feel comfortable in that allows you to show you who you are. Um, and just giving them space that what they're going through while hard is okay and it is normal. And Alicia had the same experiences, like those aha moments when someone is vulnerable enough in a team setting to be the first one to speak up. And then you see almost the the faces of everyone else kind of go down because they, they've released some of that pressure or that self-judgment that they've had for themselves because they think, they are literally the only athlete in the entire world that goes through what they're going through. And um, again, honoring that space of it being of the identity be kind of meshed in that moment, but helping them to see how to get kind of past that as they move through their journey. Oh, so good. I am a huge proponent of all of these skills that you're using to work with these young athletes, older athletes, coaches too, can all benefit from this. Can you share as a practitioner, as the one working with these people, how do you create that space 
that that safe space we've heard of people like shy away now like oh it's too fluffy like, no 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 it's it's life <laughs> we all need a safe space um how do you create that what are these skills that you've built up throughout all of your experiences that help with that yeah i think first and foremost the experience of just being an athlete uh you know it kind of has that level of credibility right off the bat and you know we were talking before we started is like it's kind of sport agnostic, right? Even though, you know, you guys are in the softball world, I was in the swimming world, somebody else is in the football or dance or cheer or whatever the case may be, all of the issues are the same. They just come out differently. So I think there's that kind of camaraderie or that brotherhood or that sisterhood that we all just kind of connect with instantaneously because we've all done a sport in some way. So it's that, it's creating that space. And then it is really listening. And, you know, being open to what the athletes are going through and how that's translating for them in this moment and to acknowledge and validate where they are versus jumping right to problem solving mode, right? You know, it's just giving the athlete the space to literally and figuratively breathe through what they're going through and knowing that the me on the other end or anybody in my position on the other end is listening with empathy in terms of I can relate to what you've been through, but I don't necessarily know exactly what you're going through, right? You and I have both experienced frustration, but I experience frustration of a bad performance differently than you do. And it's it's literally taking time to acknowledge and say, yeah, it's totally understandable what you're going through because of, you know, whatever the situation is or whatever they talk about. But that's what I feel has really been kind of the, the game changer, if you will, pun intended, uh, about, you know, having listening and just acknowledging and, and, and validating where you are is totally normal. And just then being able to open up the space, because a lot of the athletes that I talk to often say, my mom and dad just aren't listening to me or my coach isn't listening to me. And it's understandable from their point of view, that's what they feel that may not necessarily be true, but that's how what they're experiencing from those other adults. And so just being a little bit of a different space in order for them to open up. And I think there's two, the, I hear it a lot, um, coaches that say things like, Back when I was an athlete, we were we just sucked it up, right? And I don't understand kids these days. They're lazy. They're not motivated. Um, they're not resilient. So, what do you say to coaches that say things like that? I am a big listener of language, right? So, hearing those sorts of things in being openly challenging to coaches, right? So it, it kind of goes back to that idea of when I was an athlete, I was maybe a little bit too liberal in my challenging of my own coaches at times, but you know, whatever. I had a strong personality. I still have a strong personality. Um, but it's, you know, opening the door to them to, to, to reflect back of what they're saying of, of, you know, what any athlete wants is to be seen and heard, even if they can't articulate that, right? Even if they're so used to being told what to do as an athlete, like hand them a hand them a workout, they just go and do it, right? But every athlete wants to be seen and heard and almost kind of flipping the script on them to say, what would have been your reaction had you heard that when you were an athlete? 
you know, kind of flipping the script and saying, how effective was that? Or could that have been with you in those same shoes? And again, opening that dialogue to say, it's understandable that you feel that way. Using the same tactics, you know, of using with the athlete, it's understandable you would feel that way because of your experiences. Though recognize the world these athletes are growing up in is very different than yours. How effective would that statement have been for you at that time, right? Um, And starting to build that level of empathy. And quite honestly, that's why I never became a swimming coach is because at least I knew I was aware enough of myself at the time in in my early 20s that I would have been that coach. I'd be like, guys, what the hell? right? This is not how this happened when I was there. This is what we did. This is what was really successful in projecting my experience onto them. um, Now that I look back, I was like, wow, that was a pretty good decision on my part. Um, But working with coaches to just kind of flip the script and say, hmm, how helpful would that have been for you? Can you share some examples that you've heard from the athletes you've worked with. So we coaches could be like, do I do that? Let's hear it. Maybe, yeah. maybe I am guilty and I don't know it. Yeah. So uh, actually I'm working with a swimmer right now and uh, a very high level swimmer who's, whose dreams are to go to a D1 uh, program. She's a senior in high school. And um, she had a situation in which there was a holiday uh, coming up. And oftentimes in, in swimming, some coaches will incorporate different, what we call sets in practice, like to, to commemorate, like if it's Halloween, we'll do a ghostly goblin, whatever, I don't know, 500 set or whatever the case may be. And so she went to her coach um, early on and said, Hey, can we incorporate some kind of fun little games into practice? I'm not asking it for it to be easy. I'm just asking just to have some fun and some camaraderie and some teamwork And, you know, as the situation played out, the coach didn't necessarily listen and didn't reflect that back to the athlete. And so during practice, she was really upset and, you know, almost came over her physically because she's like, I just wanted it to be this fun experience that we could, we could bond as a team and get through those, um, you know, situations and being a senior. And this is a lot, what she and I talk about is like being a senior, She's in this precarious position of closing out this one chapter of her life while she's simultaneously trying to write the beginning of the next chapter, getting into college. And so from her point of view, it's like, I really just wanted one last holiday just to have some fun, just to be there with my team. And the coach didn't hear her, didn't, didn't reflect it back to her, even if it was just one set among a whole practice. Um, So that would be an example of, you know, coaches just take some time to take a step back and, and really look at it from the athlete's point of view. And if, and if you don't necessarily understand why they're asking for this, ask them why, like what makes this really important for you this year or today or this holiday, whatever the case may be. Um, so that, that was one of the most recent examples from a coaching standpoint. And I kind of feel like sometimes too, like I, I, I really realized this over the last couple of years of my season because we lost our COVID season, the 2020 mm-hmm. spring season and coming back to um, some of the same kids, but a completely different kid, completely different makeup, completely different team, culture, uh, exp- everything. So we talked a lot about this in the previous few podcasts that we just released um, on my season was there's so much crying. 
And I'm not used to these kids crying at the drop of a hat because they strike out or they don't do well on a test. And, and it was a conscious effort to really focus on coaching them differently. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I, and we had a global pandemic that nobody in the globe has ever been through before. So adults didn't know how to react, let alone the kids. And I think that like, granted, that was the a once in a lifetime, let's hope anyway, uh, uh, situation. Fingers crossed. Coach through. <laughs> But the but what we have what I had to do is really understand the impact it had on my kids, and where it was coming from, and that was the one of the toughest things I've ever had to do. Um, but again, I had to approach it without judgment. Like mm-hmm. you don't want your kids to judge themselves, but as a coach, you can't approach anything with the judgment and and project how you think they should feel. And I think that that was really a, one of the biggest challenges. So do you hear that a lot from the athletes you work with and, and just the adjustments they've had to make in the last couple of years? You know, I actually haven't necessarily been hearing it directly from the athletes. I mean, as they talk and as we work through some things, I can tell that might be part of the root of what they're going through, right? Because they, it, like when you're, when you're, you're stuck in this confined space with the same people every day, presumably, right? That's what we went through. It's like, you you kind of get in this, I don't necessarily know how to break out of this box sort of thing. I don't know how to process what I'm going through because there is no outlet, right? I'm just seeing the same environment every single day. But I have heard it from coaches and I was having a, a conversation not too long ago that really was an eye-opening experience in terms of the coach said, you know, there's they're 14, 15, 16 chronologically, they're 11, 12, 13, emotionally, behaviorally. And it was this light bulb moment of, ah, yeah, they've, their development and even every adult's development was interrupted by at least six months, at the very least six months. I mean, you know, we're still trying to figure out what the heck this long-term effect of whatever we went through, but yeah, we're seeing that kind of delay. And 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 it was the exact same comment from the coach of like, I don't necessarily know how to respond to these emotions because in what she said was, it was almost as if they didn't understand the emotion and where it was coming from and how to talk about it. And Mel, you joked before of like, don't tell me all the details of, of, of this relationship you're having, but that was the other thing from the coaches. They're 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 telling me everything that's going on, but at the same time, almost telling me nothing, right? And that they're 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 seeking this outlet, but don't know how to manage the flow of the thought and emotion that's coming through for them. If that makes any sense, that's how how I kind of interpreted it from the coach. Absolutely. We just heard that last night. <laughs> I had a call with what eight coaches and like they were all raising their hands like, yep, the emotional outbursts. <laughs> like it's just we don't know how to handle it. Um, and we get a lot of uh, male coaches who come through and they're also dealing with learning <laughs> the way females do do things. Even the dads are like, I, it's my own daughter and I still don't get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but I, it's interesting to me that you said the the kids aren't noticing a difference. That's just life for them. But if they are going through it and they're like, well, this thing I'm going through called life is not being helped by my coach because coaches over here going like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> what has worked for you in your discussions with your athletes about like 
they're not bringing up like, hi, uh, I'm feeling anxious right now, or I'm overwhelmed. Oh, my development's been delayed. <laughs> like, <laughs> how does it come out for them? And how are you talking them through it? Because I think a lot of times the coaches I talk to and myself too, uh, get overwhelmed with the thought of like, oh, do I need to be a counselor? Do I need to have skills of a PhD? <laughs> like, flip it back to no, it's performance. It's human performance, mental performance. How do you flip that back into now? How do you coach them? How do you coach this generation and especially these past few years? Yeah. And that's one thing I always tell the coaches, no, you don't need a counseling degree. No, you don't need all of these extra things. It's just a different kind of skill set. And what what I typically do in my process is I listen for the to the words they're using or also listen to the energy behind the words they're using. So I'll use um, one of my clients that when, you know, she's starting to get excited and she's starting to talk really quickly, that's a cue to me that something is going on internally that's driving this level of energy. And then to ask her what's going on within right now, or, or more pointedly, what are you feeling? Not how are you feeling? Being very specific and asking, what are you feeling? And what you can hear a lot of times among athletes, particularly of the teenagers, well, I don't really know. That's their go-to response because on some level they don't, right? That's an unconscious, it's like so overwhelming. I can't even like figure it out, but it's, it's continuing to ask the questions of, well, do you remember what you were thinking during that time? And because what we work with athletes on is the, the analogy of T. So your thoughts, your emotions, like the thoughts you have lead to the emotions that you feel lead to the actions that you take or potentially don't take in a moment. And so what we work with them is just to really kind of dig deep and get them to identify, well, I mean, I guess I was, I was angry at my coach right then. Right. So then you've got two things. Like I was angry. You've got an emotion. So, Okay. What drove you to feel angry? Well, he didn't listen to me. Oh, there you go. There you got you got something that's going on right now. You can at least that's something to go off of. Really, as a coach, your number one skill is just asking questions. Just get them to open up as much as you possibly can. And oftentimes, you know, you get the I don't know as we talked about. And sometimes just coming back to the question, okay. Makes total sense you would know. This is a lot to process. If you did know, what could that look like? Right? And just being able to kind of shift and move the conversation just to get them to talk. That's your number one skill as a coach. And that's how I approach it is one, listen to the energy, listen to the words that they're using, and then just ask them a question to dig a little deeper. And you don't have to know the answer or want to know the answer. I mean, oftentimes I'll have, you know, athletes say, well, I don't know what answer you're looking for. I wasn't looking for any kind of answer. No specific answer whatsoever. It's just, I wanted to hear from you what was going on for you. Is there anything else that you'd like to share, like a truth bomb or a mic drop moment you'd like to have with us for anything else that you've learned along the way that you feel like is really important for people to know, or just anything else? Yeah, there was, from an athlete standpoint, um, 
you know, this idea that what you experience is all driven internally, right? You, How you look at the world is based on what's going through your mind and the emotions that you feel, right? And one of the things that has actually worked really well is the concept of I'm in control, but I'm not in charge. Uh, and that has worked very well for athletes because this idea of I'm in control of me, right? that's the only thing in the world that I can you know, whether I can control, whether I, I get angry after I miss uh, a ball or I get angry because, you know, I, I didn't swim the time that I wanted to. But the idea that you're not in charge of what goes on outside of you is is not for you to influence or control, and particularly from an athlete's point of view, right? The idea that this person next to me, I know she's swam faster than I have, or I know she has a better batting average than I do, right? And that like releasing your control by having that comparative thought, right? You can't, you're not in charge of what he or she or any of your opponents do. And just being able to focus a lot in terms of having that personal responsibility of, hmm, well, if things aren't going the way that I want to, how do I take control of myself in this situation, get myself out of it or work with my coach to get out of it or work with my teammate to get out of it? Um, so that's been one of those things. I'm in control, but I'm not in charge. And that'll be our quote for the week. Prepare yourselves, <laughs> listeners. That is a good one. <laughs> We're gonna have multiple quotes. Uh, well, yeah, mic drop moment. Excellent. Uh, please share with our listeners where they can find you, learn more about you. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, our organization is Performance Reimagined. Uh, so can hop on the website at performancereimagined.com. Uh, I'm on Instagram. My personal is at Mrs. Lauren Ammon. And then our organization is at performance underscore reimagined underscore. And we've got some really big things kicking off in 2023. Uh, you know, we deal a lot with this concept of your inner opponent, that voice inside your head that tells you you can't, that tells you you're not enough, that tells you all the things that you don't really want to hear. Um, and so working with athletes to help them uncover what that inner opponent is for them specifically and how to better manage it um, so that we're going to have some things kicking off in 2023. So we'll have some information on the website in terms of what that means. And that is a wrap for today's episode. Now, if you're like me and you're thinking, uh, my athletes need all sorts of things and you're starting to feel overwhelmed and not sure where to start, we've got you. From bringing in Alicia to run a weekend boot camp with your team or to run a six-week consulting program or just training and tools for coaches who want to do this work themselves, we can help any coach who wants to develop the whole person. So if you'd like to learn more about our services, simply email us at support at mentalsweetspot.com and we'll get back to you soon. Until then, have a good one.